start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. Hello and welcome to the Jay Allen Show. Today is Tuesday, August the 4th of 2020. I hope everything's going well in your neck of the woods. As this world of ours keeps on evolving, I'm glad that you continue to come back and take a listen to our different episodes that we have available for you to sit back and enjoy. Well, on today's episode, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Something different that we normally don't do. And I don't think a lot of people have the opportunity of doing this. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. Today on the show, we have Jason Hansen. He's a former CIA officer and the New York Times bestselling author of Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. Jason is a frequent media guest and has appeared on the Today Show, Dateline, Rachel Ray, Fox and Friends, Shark Tank, and many more. Jason runs his spy escape evasion training school out of Cedar City, Utah. Sit back and enjoy this conversation between Jason Hansen and myself on the Jay Allen Show. So I normally start off with a very simple question, and it's probably the most difficult all at the same time. What drove you down the path on it really? Because it is a level of safety that you're involved in. Not that I would say the CIA is just solely safety. There's more to it. But how did it all start? You know, how did it all start is I loved running around in the woods as a kid with my BB gun. I love the Boy Scouts. I loved, you know, self-defense and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't want a real job. That's probably where it all started. So <laughs> that's a real job. It has to be. Well, well what, what I mean, real job is I was in college. I was getting ready to graduate and I didn't want to sit behind a desk pushing papers for the next 40 years, give or take. And so I was like, you know, what the heck am I going to do with my life? And I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area, which meant every government agency is in your backyard. And I started applying everywhere and anywhere. And the Secret Service and the CIA offered me a job. And I figured the agency would be a little more exciting. So that's the route I took. So what are you going to school for that all of a sudden you have the flexibility to be able to change and say this is what I, that I, you know, pay any agency? You know, I had a business degree. And okay. so, I, you know, I, I can tell you that the, the agency and other government organizations, they want somebody well-rounded. So Pretty much it was either, do you have a college degree or do you have some kind of military background? And my very first job out of college was as a police officer. So I had no military background, but I had the police and the college degree. So how does the path go from the police, then you get into the CIA? 
if, if, if I'm asking crazy questions about that, we have to tread lightly. I understand. Because no. of course, based on the information, I have over 2,000 applications. So how are you? The, the We'll say the lucky one, which I know it's not luck, but how does it happen? Well, you know, it, it really is. It, it really is luck. I'll put it this way. Hollywood movies portray like somebody getting recruited. And I can tell you that, you know, probably 1% of people are actually recruited. And they're the geniuses who speak 27 languages and, you know, go to MIT. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they're the geniuses that speak 27 languages, go to MIT and have IQs that are off the charge. So, oh, so it's not like the movie, the, the recruit with Al Pacino, where, you know, they come and they capture you and try to do all these weird tests. Nothing like that. One percent of people get recruited. The, the other 99 percent are very blessed like I am where we apply. And, you know, we're, we've got good enough backgrounds. We're squared away. You know, we haven't been in trouble that we're fortunate to get a job there. So how long are you in the police as a police officer before you decided to apply for the CIA? You know, it wasn't long at all. It was less than a year. So shortly after joining the police department, both the CIA and Secret Service offered me the job. And it was almost the same week. And I obviously thought long and hard about it, but decided to go with the agency. And I joined the agency way back in 2003. Very nice. So so you, ha- you have to ask, is, uh, that's how it comes about. You only having a year, a year experience in the police force. How do you feel the drive of saying, okay, I'm just going to apply for this and see what happens? Was it kind of whatever happens, happens? Or was it you really expected something to come about? I mean, obviously, I expected something to come about. I mean, I've always been a positive thinker. I really <laughs> okay, wanted to I'm work terrible. there. Terrible, terrible um, at that stuff. <laughs> but I knew, I knew it was a long shot, which is why I was also applying to other federal agencies like the Secret Service. And I'm trying to think who else I applied for. I, I feel like I applied to like everybody and anybody. So, uh, you know, I, again, I expected it, but I also know that I was a very, very lucky person. So as the luck starts, where do you start taking the dives in? When you start getting into the CIA, if you're allowed to talk about it, of course, what, what is your, are you attached to a desk? Are you doing field work? What's coming about? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you kind of the general overview. That way I don't get in, get in any trouble and say anything I'm not supposed to. Okay, the process itself is obviously very in-depth. It probably took me 12 months to get hired, meaning, you know, they run their back, uh, the background check on you. They polygraph you. They medical you. You have to sit with a psychologist, make sure you're not crazy or psycho or anything like that. So it's very, very in-depth. And then once you go there, you know, you're trained for a very long time. So you go to the super secret squirrel facility called the farm that they portray in a lot of movies. Right. And then you go and do your job. And I was, I'll, I'll just say, I was not an analyst. Um, you know, I did protection type of work and other things and surveillance and so on. Um, I will say it's a wonderful place to work. They treat you like gold and I have nothing bad to say about the agency. It's just that it's more of a single man's game. So a lot of the guys I knew were divorced or they didn't have great relationships with their wife. And I had some amazing mentors, but I saw my life 30 years, 40 years down the line. I was like, you know, I kind of want to do get married and have kids one day. So I only spent seven years at the agency. So what year are we talking roughly that you started? Uh, so it was 2003 and I left in 2010. Okay, so 2010. But during that time, I mean, we're, we're kind of leaving a couple of major accomplishments that happened. In 2005 and in 2008, you get the CIA's Exceptional Performance Award. How do you? How are you able to obtain those? <laughs> See, there's my nervous laughter, Jay. Um, I, I knew it was going to happen at some point. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you. I, I was blessed to be places to have, again, mentors, supervisors, whatever thing you will. So I can't go into those. Okay. Um, but I mean, it, really, there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to dodge the question because I can't go into it. But I would okay. just say I was. Let me, let me rephrase then. Sure. What would they be comparable to in other organizations? What would you say an exceptional award would be based off of? Jeez, that is, I have no idea. Like, okay. I, I really don't NBA, like that. Like the MVP award at the NBA or something <laughs> along those lines? You know, I, I really honestly don't know. Like, I don't want to overstate it because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have gotten it. So hey, I don't want to. It, 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 it's history now. So we can make, you know, we can really play it up. Nobody will know. It's just well, between you. I was going to say, if I say like, yeah, the MVP, people will be like, you know, that's, you're totally blown out of proportion. So. <laughs> I will say it's like a gold star if you have been a good school, a good kid in school. That that that's what I'll say. Oh come on, there there has to be more. There has to be more. So okay, so then all of a sudden you decide that you know you notice that this is a single man's game. You decide to get out. You want to do some different things in your life. So now all of a sudden you decide to become the founder of a company. Why did the decision of start your own company? Well, I mean, I loved what I did. I mean, I love personal protection. I loved, you know, all the training I had, the shooting, the driving, the, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. It is, it is my passion. And so when I left the agency, you know, I've kind of got like a little entrepreneurial bug. I decided to start my own company. And, you know, I learned so many things that I could share that are not classified. So when I write a book, for instance, I have to send to the CIA, they have to review it. It's a very in-depth process. They have to make sure there's no classified material. And then they send it back to me and say, yes, Jason, you can publish this. And they've redacted five pages, 10 pages, you know, whatever they blacked out. So I, again, by going back, because I realize there's so much stuff that is not classified that I can share that everyday people can use. And so that's why I started my company, because I was teaching, you know, my relatives, my family, my wife, you know, I eventually uh, got married kind of thing. So it's practical information that you don't have to be in the CIA to use. You just have to want to be safe to use it. Now, you know that somebody's going to ask, what do you mean, got married kind of thing? What, what is the kind of thing? The kind of thing is I got married and I got five kids now. So marriage, oh, okay. marriage yeah, five kids later is the kind of thing. Got it. So the name of the company is Spy Escape Innovation, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, and that's a, that you can find that at spyescape.com. But there's a lot more to the story. I think we're kind of jumping ahead because you've done a couple of, well, I say a couple. You've done some interesting things as well on TV, been on some different things. And let's not kind of take out of the equation here. You've also been on Shark Tank. Yeah, so Shark Tank is a funny story. So when I first left the agency, I was doing a lot of consulting. So big companies would almost literally sneak me in the back door and be like, hey, we've got this big security problem. You know, we don't know what to do. Can you help us? You know, and you can't tell anybody that we brought you in because everybody thinks we know what we're doing. So I, I was doing a lot of that. And then somebody mentioned this show called Shark Tank. I had never heard of it. I had never seen it. And I watched it and I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. And it's funny as, as I was, you know, I got some business mentors because obviously I don't, even though I graduated from, uh, from college with a business degree, they don't teach you anything about how to actually run a business. You know, it's all theory and no action. <laughs> Um, I know the pain. <laughs> right. So I, so I had some business mentors and they were like, listen, if you need to grow, if you want to grow this, you need to get the word out. You need to get publicity because right now nobody knows you exist because you're the guy that gets snuck in the back door. So it was out of my comfort zone because in reality, I'm a very private person. I'm an introvert. I don't like drawing attention to myself. 
but I realized I had to do it if I was going to grow my company and spread the word. And I felt I had a very important message. So it was worth it. So I think it was 2014. I went on Shark Tank. Um, Damon John was the one that I got a deal with and Shark Tank was a huge blessing. I mean, because it opened up the door to the general public, to the general masses who had no idea what I was doing. So yeah, Shark Tank by far was one of the best things to ever happen of my, uh, to me and my company. So at the time, and for the people that might have not caught the episode of Shark Tank, what are you pitching? What is your selling? What are you selling at that particular time? So I was selling at that time my two-day spy course. So it's a two-day course where I teach you escape and evasion stuff like how to escape duct tape, how to pick locks, how to pick handcuffs using a bobby pin and hair barrette, how to become a human lie detector, um, surveillance detection routes, which really means how to know if you're being followed. So I was teaching all these spy skills to people, and I went on Shark Tank and thought, hey, I want to do these you know, more seminars, again, to the general public, and that's what I was lucky enough to get a deal for. So you get the deal. Are you still involved with Damon James, or how, how does it come about? So yeah, I got the deal, and we were partners for a year. So we had a one-year contract. He was a great guy. I could call him, you know, email him whenever I needed. But after that, I mean, he's got a million and one things going on and it made more sense for me just to keep doing my own thing. So, you know, if something popped up where, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. I needed them. I could call Damon today and be like, hey, Damon, let's partner in this. Um, but yes, it was only a one year agreement for the time. Got it. Now, I've, I've actually had some other people on um, previously that have been on Spark, on Shark Tank and they've told me some different experiences on what it goes about. And I've always kind of am amazed to hear about what happens in the back end. Now, you did say during that particular section that you were an introvert at one time. Do you still feel that you are today or has that changed over the years? Oh, no, it hasn't changed at all. I'm 100 <laughs> percent introvert. Like I do a lot of publicity. I mean, I'm again, I'm blessed to go on many television shows, many news stations where I do things. And again, it helps spread the word. It helps grow the business. So that's why I do it. But in real life, I am like, I'll give an example. <clears throat> I'll give an example. We have a Christmas party. Um, you know, if there's a Christmas party and we can't find a babysitter, I'll be like to my wife, yeah, you go to the party. Cause the last thing I want to do is like mingle with people and talk. And it's just <laughs> not my natural persona. So when you sit around and you go to, so when you have the opportunity to go to some of these parties, are you always kind of like looking around trying to figure out if some, somebody's trying to do some hijinks? Yeah, I enjoy observing people. So yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stare at people, I'll observe, I'll see what's going on. And, you know, I'm happy to chat, but I'm not a person who, you know, goes up and strikes conversation. So if I'm sitting on a couch, for instance, and somebody comes and wants to chat, you know, again, I'll, I'll be happy to have a conversation, but I'm much more comfortable just observing my surroundings. So let's kind of take some deep dives here, especially in the first book. And I know, are you already done with the second book or you're still in the process? So I've actually got three books out now. So yeah, okay. I've, I've, yep, I've had uh, two books by Penguin Random House and one by HarperCollins. Okay, so the first book, when you decide to come up with the idea to do it, what are you thinking at the time? Are you tar and I know that you referenced this in Smalley about some of the courses that you were doing. So is this kind of like the appetizer to the coursework or is this the entree to the coursework? So it's, it's funny you mention that. This is the appetizer. After going on Shark Tank, I had uh, basically a million people want to be your best friend. Of course, so of course. You have everybody reaching out to you. And somebody reached out to me from Penguin Random House and said, hey, would you be interested in writing a book? And I do enjoy writing. I write everyday articles, uh, an article a day to my readers. And so I said, sure. And so I shared some of the tips, all the things you can put in the book, such as how to become a human lie detector and all that. 
So it is a, a perfect warm up for people who want to come out and take our live event. So how is it working now in this new this new reality that we have? Are you are you offering these classes virtually or how are they coming about? Yeah, I was very fortunate that we had videotaped some of our classes and videotaped some of our training because a lot of our training targets high net worth individuals. So I'd have people email me and say, hey, Jason, you know, I can't afford that or I can't get on a plane or, you know, I work nonstop. You know, what can you do for me? So we had started creating a lot of online training and releasing other books and DVDs and videos. So when everything went to heck in a handbasket, we already, you know, a lot of our business was online. So it didn't affect us like it affected a lot of other people. In fact, this year is going to be our best business year ever. Oh, that's good to hear. So I guess let's talk about some misconceptions that people have. And where do you want to start? I'm sure that you have so many different theories that we could go down in regards of misconceptions. So are people inherently safe when they're out and about or not really? (laughs) I knew you have the inside Iggy is what I call it. Yeah, no, no, people are not inherently safe. I mean, people walk out their door, they get in their car, they're zombies who stare at their phone half the time. They're lucky when they're crossing the street, they don't get run over because they don't look to, you know, they don't look up to actually see where they're going. So what I say is we who live in the United States of America and most of us live in safe cities. So we don't live in inner city Baltimore where I have lived. So I know how bad it is. Um, You know, we don't live in dangerous places, so we can get away with not having good situational awareness. We can get away with, you know, walking, staring at our phone, never looking up, never knowing what's going on around us. Um, So we're blessed in that sense. You know, if you live in certain third world countries, well, you're going to get robbed or beat up in a heartbeat. But yes, most people, unfortunately, do not have uh, good attention to safety. So as you so as you say that, what have you seen change now with what we're talking about in regards of seeing COVID-19 and people staying at home and all these other things going on? Being as that a lot of people are working from home now, is there other things that they should be concerned about? Maybe browsers, things that maybe could be digital in regards of not being safe? Or what do you what do you think about it when it comes to yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the common sense stuff like make sure you have a VPN on your computer, a virtual private network. So that anytime you're surfing the internet, your information is encrypted. That way, you know, somebody gets on public Wi-Fi, you got to have your VPN on so you don't get hacked or even at home. Um, You know, simple stuff like, you know, when your uncle from Nigeria sends you that email promising the $10 million, don't send them, you know, money to do that. It's Uh, not real. (laughs) Making sure you have a good router, same thing, making sure your router, good password, encrypted router. I mean, stuff like that. And then even using certain email systems like Hushmail or ProtonMail, where they encrypt your email and it's much better than other types of emails for certain communication. Because I have Gmail for certain communications, but you know if you're doing something very private, have a more secure email service. So those are the some of the simple things that anybody can do. So is there a particular brand of encryption that you would recommend for a VPN or a certain email service provider? I mean, there are so many good VPNs these days. Um, one of them just jumps to my mind because I've used it is TunnelBear. Uh, there's one I, I want to say I've used too. It's PAI, PIA. What the heck is it? Now I'm drawing a blank. But I mean, if you, there are so many good VPNs that virtually do the same thing and they're dirt cheap too. I mean, I think I pay 50 or 75 bucks a year for my VPN. So there's really no excuse not to have it. And then as far as, you know, the emails I just mentioned, ProtonMail is great. 
kind of stuff. You know, don't send your social security number through Gmail or Yahoo <laughs> or any of those emails because, you know, they're obviously not as secure. And then just never, you know, people, it always, I, I do a lot of consulting and I get people who have been hacked and like, don't click on anything. Don't, you know, if you like, I don't text message. I've never sent a text message in my life. I have a flip phone for my calls. But, you know, people who get these text messages and click on these links and then their phone is infected. Like if you get a suspected or a suspect text message, don't click on it. Don't do anything with it. Just immediately delete it. So curiosity still kills a lot of people because they're clicking on these links. So you know that now a lot of people are going to go, I need to get rid of my smartphone. And if, if Jason has a flip phone, apparently that's the route to go. Is that a, a route you would recommend to most? I mean, I know 99% of people are not going to do it. I do it for two reasons. One is a safety, but also for a convenience method, meaning like if somebody needs me, they're going to call me and I know it's important. And my wife does text message and so do my friends. And I see them texting back and forth for what seems like an eternity when they need something. And I'm like, just pick up the phone and ask her, you know, like, <laughs> I'll be, you know, like my wife will be talking to maybe our, our sister-in-law, our brother-in-law, we need something. And it's taking an attorney and like, just call them so we can get this done. So it's, no, it's, it's supposed to be the convenience of the text message. Uh, it's no, not wanting people to have like they text message back and forth, like for an eternity. I love that. I know if my phone rings, it is something important because people who know me know I don't text message. So every once in a blue moon, somebody will say they text message me. And I'm like, well, you obviously don't know me very well because I didn't get the text message. I, you know, nothing came to my flip phone. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because I almost sent you a text message on what we had going on first thing. So I'm glad I didn't do it now. now that I <laughs> That's right. Yes. It, I would have never I would have never seen it. <laughs> so there's a portion that you referenced earlier, and I want to make sure that I do talk about it. You mentioned a concept of becoming a human lie detector. And of course, I wanted to wait a little bit before I got to it. Come on. You had to you had to give me some of the inside scoop. How does this work? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you some quick and easy tips. And these are tips that anyone can do. It doesn't take years of learning or any spy training or quote unquote. So first, when the CIA sits you down to polygraph you, they don't immediately come out and say, hey, Jason Hansen, are you working for the Russians? Or, hey, Jason Hansen, are you trying to overthrow the United States government? They baseline you. And that means they see how you act normally and react normally. So they'll say, you know, Jason, is today Tuesday? Yes. Is this carpet blue? Yes. Is it raining outside? Yes. You know, they ask you all those generic questions where there is no reason for you to lie or no reason for you to be uncomfortable. And then once they baseline you, then they hit you with the hard stuff or, hey, are you a Russian spy trying to infiltrate the United States government kind of thing? So the first thing you got to do is baseline someone. And that's easy. I mean, you, you know, your friends, your relatives, you know how they behave in a normal day. Um, if I'm hiring somebody who's going to work for my company, I baseline them first. I'll, you know, just shoot the bull kind of thing. Hey, where are you from? You know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Tell me about your past work experience. I get them comfortable. Then when you get some comfortable, that's when you can go in for the kill. So I'll give you an example. One of the, the easiest ways to detect lies is what I call the first three to five seconds. And what that means is if I ask you a question and you're honest, you immediately respond. Um, if we're in person, you don't have a deer in the headlights look because you're comfortable in telling the truth. But if I ask you a question and you immediately get nervous in the face and you start stuttering and you're like, um, um, well, uh, you know, you're trying to buy time so your brain can conjure up a lie. 
So, Jay, do you want to play my little game and let me ask you a question? Oh, God, we can do this. <laughs> All right. So, Jay, tell me the last time you stole something. Wow. Um, I'm sure I have. I just don't remember off the top of my head. Well, come Paper on. You're, you're telling me you've never stole something in your entire life? Like, like intentionally? No. Paper clips? Yeah, I'm sure I've stolen from the office like several times. So when you were in sixth grade, you didn't go into the supermarket and like steal a oh, matter of fact, You got it. You got it. You so do have me now that I think about it. There was a time that I do remember now that now that you say that I was actually mm, I want to say I was probably first, second grade. I did steal a piece of gum that was the form of a hamburger. And I remember getting <laughs> all for it. Yeah. But yeah, I did. Now that now that you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Right, that so would probably. You. You. And I, I, you know, I purposely probed it that way. You answer like a normal human being would answer. You didn't get any nervous tension or tones in your voice. You didn't start stuttering. You didn't ask me to repeat the question. So when I'm hiring people, I'll literally ask them that. After we're totally comfortable, I'll come out of left field and be like, tell me last time you stole something. Most people have a normal reaction like you do where, oh, yeah, oh, uh, you know, I can't remember. But, oh, yeah, you know, I stole a Snickers bar in sixth grade or I stole money out of my parents' wallet when I was in high school. I've had instances where I ask that question and people get nervous in the face. They start stuttering. They start, um, um, um. And I try and calm them down after that. I say, hey, don't worry about it. We've all stolen something. And this is a true story. One time I had a woman who went nervous and started stuttering say, well, my last job, I stole a ton of office supplies because I was going to set up a competing company. But I decided not to do that. So now I'm here because I need a job from you. Wow. Obviously, I I did not hire that woman. (laughs) <laughs> oh so man. basically a simple lie detection thing you can do is if you want to know something baseline and then ask an uncomfortable question like one of the other questions i ask is tell me the last time you did drugs or sometimes i've hi- i'm hired for uh, marriage things and i'm like tell me the last time you cheated on your wife innocent people answer quickly they don't look terrified in the face and they give what a normal human reaction would be liars you can see the fear they start buying time so that is that is one of many examples of how to detect lies. Oh, so it's not so they don't give the traditional answer of determine or explain exactly what you mean by cheating. That's not the, <laughs> right, that's exactly. not the what, what did Clinton say? Like, what is the definition of was or is or whatever he said? Oh, I, I think that's going to age us for sure by saying that, making that reference. <laughs> so, yeah, that, just, that is just sorry. Go ahead. That's just one method. Know. So that's one method. So that's something that you tra- that you train inside of your. That's something that's available on the course that you have, correct? That is correct. Yeah, we do a whole lie detection portion. Excuse me, we do a whole lie detection portion where I cover several ways where you can easily detect a lie from your loved ones or coworkers or whoever. Now, because of course, in in the world that I get to interact in, and if there's accidents or incident investigations, depending on how you want to look at it, and some people still use that method of we're going to talk to the individual person. Some people do, not everybody. So do you think that some of those techniques would apply to accidents or incident investigations? And I'm not talking, we also use a concept called learning teams, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about when they have a one-on-one interaction, when they're doing an interview for an accident or an incident. Do you think that that's something that would be beneficial to them? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, I've got several techniques that you can tell if somebody's telling the truth or not. I mean, one of them is, you know, somebody tells you the story and then you go back to it using that technique. So you're telling me that you really saw deer when you swerved on the road and, you know, ran into this. And so you can see the nervous look, the stuttering if they're trying to buy time. Another thing I like to do is when groups is human beings, when they're lying, they do what I call the freeze. 
And the freeze means if you're normally talkative and happy and, you know, jovial, when I'm starting asking you about something uncomfortable, you freeze, meaning you're not moving your legs as much. You're not doing, moving your arms as much. And the reason you do that is liars and their brain think to themselves, if I don't move and I don't attract attention to myself, they'll never know it was me. So they almost try and retract into a tortoise shell. So if I'm, you know, handling a big group and something gone's wrong, I'm looking for that guy who is less movement, who seems like he's kind of frozen where the rest of the people are being normal behavior. And so the freeze is another great way to detect lies. I have to tell you, that reminds me a lot of the end of the movie or the original Alfred Hitchcock psycho movie where he says, I think there's like a fly that lands on him. And he goes, look, I'm not going to kill this fly that lands on him while he's in jail. For they will say that I wouldn't even kill a fly. And I'm like, what? So that's, <laughs> so you're saying a similar concept. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, guilty hmm. people in their mind, they think they're going to fool everybody, but they always give off tells. I mean, one of the things is we're great at lying with our mouth, meaning, you know, people tell lies all the time. But the direction our head moves doesn't lie. So if I said to you, hey, Jay, you're telling me you've never stolen and your head nodded, yes, you know, I'm telling you you've never stolen, you're telling the truth. But if your head slightly moved to the left or to the right, then I would believe the head and I know you're lying. So I've got to give you a quick example. And I could care less what anybody's political affiliation is, could care less what your political affiliation was. But when Hillary Clinton was running for president, Diane Sawyer was doing an interview, and I think it was on 60 Minutes. And she said to Hillary Clinton along the lines of something like, you and Bill have a wonderful marriage, don't you? And you can see her head distinctly nodding left to right in a no position as she says yes. So she says, yes, it's a wonderful marriage where you can clearly tell she's lying and she has not had a wonderful marriage. Well, you see, and that's very interesting that you mentioned that. And I say this because I have spoken to salespeople where they say that when they talk, they shake your, their hair, their head. Yes. When they're talking to people to have a natural response for them, for them to be agreeable to actually doing sales. And you're almost saying that your body gives those telltale signs when you're asking questions. Yeah, I've heard that sales technique and I totally understand you wanted to get in and say yes, but mine is for lie detection. So using it in right. an accident incident. If I said, hey, you know, you're telling me you're only going 70 miles an hour and they say yes and they nod their head yes, then I'm going to believe them. But if they say yes and their head slowly nods, I mean, it's not going to be anything huge. But if they slowly nod to the left or to the right as they're telling me yes, then I know they're lying because the head doesn't lie where people lie with their voice all the time. So the interesting part then is you referenced earlier that you have five kids, correct? That is correct. Yes. So, this is, so I would imagine they can't get away with much. Not that they're trying to get anything over on you, but if you know all these little techniques. Here's the funny thing about kids. And I can tell this for everybody listening who has kids. So I got married later in life. I didn't get married until I left the agency. And so I had kids later. So my kids are all seven years and under. Now here's the interesting thing about detecting lies. Children are not readable, meaning they don't give off the signs that adults do until about eight to 10 years of age. And the reason is their mind doesn't truly understand a lie. So my kids, of course, do things all the time where they lie to me and say they didn't hit their sister or brother, didn't break the glass or whatever. But because they're so young still, they're not giving off the signs that a teenager or you know, somebody older would. Ah, uh, You're like, they're just one year away. I'm so close. That's right. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I will put it to good use when they become of age. Uh, I, oh, I would be so worried as a child knowing that my dad knows that kind of stuff. <laughs> Now, so what are some other techniques that you can talk about? And by the way, before I forget to ask, 
What is the name? Can you give some of the names of some of the books that you've put out and what the subject matter is? Yes. So one of them is called Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. And that is a bunch of the stuff we're talking about. Lie detection, um, escaping duct tape, escaping carjackings, kind of a bunch of safety stuff like that. But since I had so much material, I wrote a second I wrote a, a second book called Survive Like a Spy. And Survive Like a Spy is some of the best CIA operations that have never been told of a bunch of my buddies and other things. And so we took these amazing CIA operations, told the stories, and in the end, showed the safety tips of how you can apply it. So, you know, how do you know if you're being followed? How do you know if somebody's trying to kidnap you? That kind of stuff. So that's the second book. And then the third book is a book, kind of a business book that I wrote. And it's called Agent of Influence. And my, what I like to say is spies are the world's best salesmen. And a friend of mine has a quote that I love where she says, the only difference between you and me is that you sell vacuums and I sell treason. And so (laughs) spies are so good because you're convincing someone to basically betray their country. Like if I was a, if I was a bad spy, Jay, and I worked for China, I'd say, Hey Jay, you know, I work for China. Why don't you come and, you know, spy for the Chinese and we'll pay a bunch of money and, you know, you'll spy on the Americans and yada, yada, betray your country. So it's obviously a much more in depth and uh, you know, different kind of pitch than that. But spies are very good because you're, you're, you've got to be a great salesman to convince somebody to betray their country. So the third book called Agent of Influence is kind of the spy sales cycle, which is spotting, assessing, developing and recruiting. Now, this is readily available on Amazon or do they have to go directly to your site or how does that work? So all these are available on Amazon. Yeah, any any three of these books they, they can buy on Amazon right now. Very cool. So give us give us one more technique that we could probably use on, in as application in our regular life. So uh, a, a technique that I love and is super easy, and this is lie detection technique, is the what I call the least punishment. So I'll give you an example of a, a real life one that happened. There was a restaurant. They were missing a significant amount of money from the till. So somebody was still at a ton of money from the, uh, from the cash register. And so the way this one works is you take out a piece of paper, you go to every single person, and you tell them, I want you to write on this paper the, what, what should happen to the person who stole all the money. And so let's say there's 50 people who, who could be you know, uh, accomplices or you know, who could be the thief. So you pass out 50 pieces of blank white paper. And just say, write down for me what should happen to the person that stole the $10,000 or you know whatever amount of money. You gather all those pieces of paper back, and you will see that most people have a common theme, meaning the person should be fired, they should go to jail, you know, they should have to return the money. They have normal responses. But there's that old Sesame Street thing where it's like one of these things is not like the other. Right. And you will see an answer in there. It says like, you know, people make mistakes. They should be able to hand the money back and keep their job. You know, they shouldn't go to jail or, you know, you're going to see the outlier, which is obviously the guilty person. So the guilty person clearly doesn't want to go to jail for stealing the money if they think they're going to be caught. So that is a simple thing where you can use this on kids. You know, something goes wrong with your kids, pass out five pieces of paper and say, tell me what should happen to the person who just broke my lamp. And you'll see the guilty party give the least punishment. And, you know, you found it. (laughs) Now, Jason, I have a question for you real quick. What's your general consensus and feeling about social media? Do you think that things should be put on there for public view? Or being as you were saying the stuff about texting, what do you think about social media overall? You know, it's funny. I hate social media. 
I, I have like a Facebook page because I have a team that runs Facebook ads for my business. If you were to ask me about my Facebook pages right now, I wouldn't even tell you. I don't know how to get there. Um, <laughs> Uh, put it this way. I have a Facebook page. I don't know how to get there, but I know that it says I'm still engaged. And remember, I have five kids. So that's like, you know, that, that's the that that I about. <laughs> <laughs> my okay. wife knows I do nothing with social media. So like when people tell me like, hey, Jason, I whatever Instagrammed you or whatever, it's like, I don't even know how to find my Instagram page. I know we have one because somebody in the company does something with it, but I have never been on it in my life. So then I guess this is going to be a very strange question then. If people want to get more information about you, where do they go? You know, the website you mentioned, spyescape.com, that is probably the best way. Or, you know, buying any of the books. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure, well, I, I have employees who do monitor Facebook. So if you found our Facebook page, you know, an email would get through to me. Um, but I will never, yeah, I'll never be on the fa- Facebook page or do any of that. <laughs> so just a, just a couple more things and then I will let you be. So three books that you have out, and then the course you said that you have recordings of it. Is there any virtual sessions that you're going to potentially start offering in the future? Is there any plans of that? Or is everything kind of a a learning management system going forward? So yeah, so the three books are Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life, Survive Like a Spy, and Agent of Influence. And the course right now is a learning management. So I recorded one of our two-day spy events, the live spy events, And so that's what you get to see. You get to see everything I teach, how to escape the duct tape. You get to see the full in-depth of the lie detection. Um, So I don't have anything planned live yet, you know, doing live trainings. I'm I'm sure we'll do in the future. So right now it is just a course we recorded that you get access to in our system. Okay. And is is it for a limited time? Do they get access indefinitely? How does the access work? So I'm a believer in lifetime access, meaning I know that we have busy lives. You may watch it one day, forget about it, want to go back and study it. So once somebody buys it, it's lifetime access. Okay. And then it does it get updated ever so frequently or is it access to this one, this one piece? So it's access to this one course, but we do update things. We do include more videos because I shoot fresher videos, you know, things change. Um, so yeah, they do get access to that too. Okay. Well, Jason, I really do appreciate you actually covering so much, so many different topics. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, you're a great interviewer. This is fun. And you didn't mind when I started dancing around, you know, some of the questions you asked me. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't, I wasn't going to push the buttons. You made it abundantly clear that there was only certain things that I could ask. And I'm going to respect that. And especially I don't want anybody knocking on my studio door saying, Hey, what's going on here? So I know that's ready. I've already dealt with the, actually I would say I've already dealt with the agency, but I have a very good relationship with them. So yes, agency, go bother Jay. Don't bother me. (laughs) Jason, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, this brings another episode of the Jay Allen show to an end. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation today with Jason Hansen. And hopefully these are some techniques that you can practice on your loved ones. (laughs) I say that jokingly, of course. But definitely give them some practice. If you get an opportunity, please go to Jason's website, spyescapeinnovations.com. Anyways, thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM. And that is the listener. Don't worry, we'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 440 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.